0: If you get your notes out for today, we're going to dive into our series on the book of Mark. But I I just want to point out that I was so convicted by Pastor Jake's first uh, point last week. Uh, Jake, are you listening? I, I I need you to listen to this. I was so convicted. He's getting his notes. Amen. I was so convicted by by what he mentioned earlier today about his sermon last week, that I, that I went ahead and brought my real Bible, not my iPad. And I went, out, I went ahead and printed my notes, Jake, uh, because I wanted to be sure I got in, in heaven before you did. So, uh, just kidding. Now, I mean, not happening. Now, all of that to say, uh, uh, did you enjoy Pastor Jake's sermon last week? It was awesome. It was awesome. Give, give him a round of applause. Come on. It was good. It was good. No, we're not going to stop. First Thessalonians five says, "Outdo one another in showing honor," and we honor you. And uh, I say all of that too because tomorrow's his birthday, and so come on. Ha- I'm not going to sing to you, and Ben already sat down. But we love you, and uh, we are just. <laughs> That's how it's going to be in heaven one day. <laughs> I think there's a Bible verse about Moses' bosom or something like that, but you can Google. You probably shouldn't Google that later. All right. But uh we love you, you. and I uh, thank you for serving us. And uh the book of Mark. Let's 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 dive in. Let's pray together. OK, Father, you are so good. We are grateful that your word says it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And that in the midst of this world and in the midst of the pain that it brings in the midst of the confusion that it might bring that we have your word and we have your church that we bring together and we see your hand at work we have hope we have purpose we have a mission and so father i pray that you'd be glorified today i pray that the name of jesus would be exalted and holy spirit as we open your word Would you fulfill your promise that you made in your word that every time we open it, that it never returns empty, that it always goes out and accomplishes that which you set out for it to accomplish. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to dive right into Mark chapter 5. If you have a Bible, go to Mark chapter 5. If you are on the Version Bible app, you can go under Events and find Redeemer City Church, and uh, all the scriptures will be right there for you. You can follow along. But I want to jump right in because some sermons don't need an introduction. When the text, I mean, all the text is good, but some of them are so riveting that you don't have to say anything in front of it. So let's jump right into Mark chapter 5. Jesus has just, in chapter 4, been on the sea And he has been in the midst of a little hurricane and his disciples were freaking out and they call him up to the boat. And he's like, what's your problem? I'm paraphrasing now. And then he tells the sea to be still and it obeys his voice. So he's shown his power over the natural world. And we get that. And we're into that. But then we come to our story today and we encounter the supernatural world. And, and here's the story. So they, they were just in the sea, chapter 5, verse 1 of Mark. Bible says this, They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he, Jesus, got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore. Not even with a chain. Because he had often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. If you're a note taker or a highlighter, one of the things that I like to do in my Bible when I'm reading a passage like this is when you start to see the same phrases. no one. No one could. No one could. That's significant because what is being shown is that this was nothing that any human being could accomplish. So no one, verse 4, was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him. Notice that we've seen that three times now. The demons begging God, begging Jesus. Verse 13, or verse 12, the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. Verse 13, so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 crushed or rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they celebrated. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. It says they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what, had hap- what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, this is Jesus. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with them. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people... And report to them how much the Lord has done for you. And how much he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they all were amazed. Now, as we dive in here, C.S. Lewis once said that for humans, we tend to either overestimate or underestimate what is a result of the devil we either overestimate or underestimate he he says it's either for most of us it's either everything's the devil or nothing is the devil i like what another pastor said and he said this he said the devil's fine with us over or underestimating him if we overbelieve in his ability, he's fine with that. If we undersell what he's capable, he's fine with that. As long as we don't Bible believe what he's capable of. There's some truth in that, right? There's a tendency for some of us, if we're driving home today and we run out of fuel, we look at the kids and we go, oh. That was the fuel demon, right? And you're like, be afraid. You're you're just like, like, no, like your lack of planning (laughs) was not actually a demon. You just got to put gas in your car, right? Right. But but then there's some other things where, you know, you might feel like something has come against your family. And it could be legitimate. I want to go put up on the screen Ephesians chapter six, verse ten. Look at what the Bible says here. Maybe. There it is. It says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. If you need to be strengthened, what does that imply? That you were weak, right? Put on the full armor of God. That's, that, seem, that seems aggressive, right? Do you know what armor is? Have you seen armor? like Like, all of it. All right, body armor. That's what I was looking for. Think about that. God, I think sometimes you just read the Bible and we, we don't think about that. Like, what is armor? Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. You, you need armor to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. So while... Some things may not be a result of the devil. The Bible makes it incredibly clear that some things are the result of the devil. And so while we may need to not blame everything on the devil, there is this aspect that you must deal with in recognizing that there's a war raging not just around you, but against you. There is an active spiritual war raging against you, raging against your family, raging against your kids, raging against your country, raging against whatever the devil has time to rage against. But listen to this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Throw that one up there for me. The one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Listen to this. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose. To destroy the devil's works. Okay, so so we, we we have this war of Satan and his demons and his army of demons. And we have the Son of God sent. This is from the beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 3. Where he sent to destroy the devil's work and then there's little itty bitty you in the middle what 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 is this spiritual warfare as we think about this particular story in mark chapter 5 it's one of the most riveting accounts in all of the bible nothing really in the bible captures the power of jesus quite like this story where you have a conversation between those dark forces and the Son of God created to crush those dark forces. We don't have that in really any other place. It's the most extreme encounter with supernatural power and wickedness anywhere in Scripture, outside of Isaiah when he talks about Lucifer being kicked out of heaven and becoming Satan. We don't have time to unpack all of that, but that would be a good thing for you to study this week on your own or maybe in city groups this week. If you're not in one, get in one. It's a great week to jump in, but you can unpack maybe some of that on your own. But but here's the reality. If Jesus is truly the Messiah, if Jesus is truly God, then he has to be able to have power, not just over that natural world. In chapter 4. But he has to be able to win that battle. In the spiritual world. Because someday. You and I are going to stand before God. And we're going to need. To have had. A substitute. That paid for our sin. And if we don't have. Jesus. It won't turn out well. So as you think about that, Mark is building a case in this whole gospel, in all of Mark. And this plays an important role in establishing Jesus as that true Messiah. It established him as that. And so I I want to just break this down a little bit. And and really what what it does is it gives us a window in, a, a window to look through about these spiritual forces, about these schemes of Satan. And it reveals some things to us that that we need to be aware of so that we can actually take that armor and stand up against Satan and the devil and demons. So there's some good news on that and there's some bad news. And whenever somebody gives you that choice, you always start with the bad news, right? Just Just trying to help somebody, all right? So according to the text, if you're taking notes, there's three purposes of Satan that you should be aware of, all right, that that you need to know about. It's a strategy that he will take in coming against you, right? The Bible makes it clear he's coming. Peter tells us elsewhere, he says, the devil is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can purr and rub on your leg with. No, 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 that's your house cat, Right? What is the devil doing? He's seeking whom he may, what? Devour. Devour. Well, that's different. Right? He, he doesn't want to just trip you up. He'd prefer to take you out. And that's what we see in Mark chapter 5. That, that the devil is this close to taking this man. He's this close. He's got this guy... At the edge of his reality. There's three purposes. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. Satan defiles the image of God. He defiles the image of God. I think it's interesting in verses 1 and 2 that the demons, as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, met him. He was possessed with an unclean spirit he's possessed with a demon satan defiles image of god here is a human being which the bible tells us is created in god's image and the first thing that they want to do with that man is take over his body they want to take over his body has it ever occurred to you that potentially even though uh You as a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So I don't believe that you can be possessed by a demon, but you can most definitely be oppressed by a demon. Are you tracking with me on the difference there? That Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit. He sends you the Holy Spirit when you become a follower of Jesus. And so he's greater than the one in the world. So he's not going to possess you, but if he can oppress you, you better believe he'll take that opportunity. He'll take that opportunity, and he'll oppress you. This unclean spirit—I love this—comes out of the tombs. He's dealing with darkness. You look look at our look at the world we live in today. You know, if you were to go do some research on the United States of America and on our medication and on uh, just the uh, the rate of suicide and depression, you can't tell me. That in this land of liberty, that there aren't demonic forces oppressing people. The greatest nation on earth is also the unhappiest. How does that happen? Because Satan defiles the image of God. This possessed man is living among dead tombs. And Satan wants you to believe that there's no hope for you. That you're walking among dead things. When you look around this world, it'd be easy to think that Satan is this close like he was with this man to delivering a final blow. Like what else could happen in our culture that we could actually stand up under? Like like what else could I mean, th- that's just on a global scale. Let, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about our lives. You know, there, there's going to be weeks, there's going to be moments. And, and as your pastor, I get to know a lot of those moments with you. That there, there are things that come in your life and you think to yourself, what else could possibly happen that I could stand up under? He defiles the image of God. He defiles what ought to be your greatest asset, what ought to be humanity's greatest asset. In being created in the image of God. And ought to be the value that leads in all aspects of our lives, right? That we would walk around and see others as Jesus sees them. That we would walk around and see ourselves as Jesus sees us. But Satan has a foothold there, doesn't he? He likely has a foothold in your life. And how you see yourself. And how you see your value. And it can evidence itself in a lot of ways. But it began in the garden, didn't it? The thing about this, the devil always edits what God says. The Bible calls him the father of lies. He'll take what God said like he did to Adam and Eve and say, is that really what God said? You know, God said you're made in his image, but you've done a lot to defile that image. Satan defiles the image of God. Number two, Satan defaces the image of God. The man is not only defiled, but he's defaced. He's been driven away from humanity. If Satan can isolate you, he's got you right where he wants you. And and oftentimes we think about that, you know, maybe like you're envisioning Satan or demons as like these spooky little things that that are like... (sighs) You like coming after you with red horns and a pitchfork like he 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 doesn't want to be that obvious in your life. If he can just get you on the beach instead of at church, if he can just get you isolated thinking nobody cares about you when there's nine city groups ready to care for you. You know, like we're not doing these things because none of us have things to do. Right. We all have things to do, but there's some things that we we don't we can't afford not to do. Am I making sense? See, because there are things that the Bible, there's things that Jesus created you for. It's one of the reasons we're doing growth track, just so we can say in one venue, this is all the things you were created for. That God made you this way. So, so, so here's this guy, and he's deranged and depraved in his behavior. He can't even be bound. Think about that. He's breaking chains and then smashing the shackles. I mean, it's one thing to be like, oh, there's a, there's a, weak, there's a weak link in the chain. You just pop that sucker off. I can do that. You know, you're like, you know, you try to explain it away. But can you just imagine those, those old iron shackles that they used to use back in ancient days? And, and just a human being just taking that and smashing that. Satan gives this power to this guy through demons. So that the Bible repeatedly in this text, remember it says no one could subdue him. No one could stop him. No one was strong enough to to subdue him. And all of these things happen and demons are part of Satan's plan to do to others what Jesus has done to him. Subdue him. That's where the power in your life lives not in the ability of you to resurrect something in your own life that's going to overtake what the devil can do but to simply come like these demons do you know a lot of times demons have better theology than we do we just did the 21 days of prayer in january and we called it what pray first right pray first the demons jesus isn't even out of the boat yet and what are they doing praying to god they're talking to Jesus. They immediately recognize the authority in their life. They're, they're sometimes better believers than we are, aren't they? That, that Jesus wasn't even out of the boat, and they're coming down, and, and they're they're bowing at the authority of Jesus. It's it's interesting here because the they say their name is Legion, but in in Roman times. That could be as, up, as many as 6,000. And I don't know if the Bible's really just saying that it, there were 6,000 demons. The point is there were thousands of demons oppressing this one man. Thousands of them. And they're oppressing him. And number three, he comes to destroy the image of God. It talks about self-harm. It says, night and day, verse 5. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. If Satan can destroy the image of God in your life, if he can make you think that you're not worth what God said you're worth, he can win that battle. He can win that battle. So, so we have all these things that are happening here. And we rarely go here, right? Like we rarely, we rarely jump to demonic activity. But, but I think it's appropriate for us to, to go there today and to think through what does it mean when the Bible says that all these things are coming against you? What, what, what are some of the things that, that demons do? Let me, let me just walk you through um, a little bit of information about demons. Demons are fallen angels. God has had angels in heaven and they, they are messengers of his. They worship at his feet. Sometimes your translation, they call them cherubim. They are not the little pudgy babies with wings. All right. And they don't sit on clouds. Okay, they are active participants in the kingdom of God. They do the things that God created them to do. But they were kicked out of heaven with Lucifer, Isaiah chapter 14. If you want to write that down and look at it later, we don't have time to go through it. But, but here's some other things that are true. They don't share God's deity or attributes. They are limited. They're limited. So just like Satan, they, they, don't, but they, they, they don't have all the knowledge that God has. They can't be everywhere at the same time. That's why Peter says he walks around seeking somebody he can devour. The Bible says that God is everywhere, that he's everywhere at all times. But the devil and his demons are not. They're limited. But they're also not human. It's important for us to think about that. Right? They don't share our physical limitations. So they're limited in what they can do compared to God. But they also don't share the limitations that we have. Right? They don't get tired. They don't need a cup of coffee. They don't need sleep. They roam the earth and they oppress people. That's what they do. They want as many people going to hell as possible. Sometimes we say that we want to take hell back by the square foot. What are we saying there? We're saying the opposite of what demons are trying to do. Demons are going to hell. They already know that. They were kicked out of heaven and God gave them their fate. But God also has humanity on earth and he is saving people. That's why he says with great uh anticipation, what we studied the last two weeks, what Jake talked about last week when I talked about the week before, that that there's urgency in spending time with people who aren't like Jesus and going out into the hedges and highways and what's the Bible say? Compelling people to come in because this is real. Hell, I, I, I like to tell, I used to tell kids when I coached basketball and they would be like, what the hell? And I would be like, hey, like, I know that you think that is just a fun thing to say, but think about it. That's a real place. People don't want you to just not say that because it's a curse word. What's a curse word? They change from culture to culture. Why do Why do we care about that thing? Because it's a real place. And real people are going to that real place. And that's why Jesus spent his time with the sick. That's why Jesus spent his time with sinners. That's why he spent his time with you and I. Because... We need Jesus. And as, as we are considering these, they're roaming, these demons are roaming the earth. Demons can possess people, but not Christians, 1 John 4, 4. Demons desire to deceive people and keep them from Christ. Demons are at war with God and you, according to the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6. And if you read Revelation, you'll see these cosmic wars, these cosmic battles that take place. All these things are happening. And there's a time of judgment coming for Satan and his demons. It's called the great white throne judgment. But before that final judgment, we see demons active in the Bible and active in our world. Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Revelation 20, 11 and 12. They're active. And so while we're not saying that there's a demon under every rock... We are saying that there is an active spiritual war that you should not only be aware of, but that you, according to Ephesians chapter 6, should be actively taking a stand against by putting on the armor of God. What about Satan himself, the prince of demons? Satan's a deceiver, Genesis chapter 3. He's an accuser, Revelation twelve ten, And First Peter, he actively prowls, seeking whom he can devour. Now, oh, all of that to say what? What I think you see in Mark chapter 5 is that spiritual warfare, track with me here, spiritual warfare is a worship problem. That it's, it's not that Satan just wants to do anything. What was Lucifer's original problem in Isaiah? He was tired of worshiping God and thought that he deserved to be worshipped. Translate that into your own life. I'll, I'll pick on me. When I struggle with something, it is oftentimes a pride problem, right? That I think what I want is better than what you want. What is that? It's a worship problem. Rarely are we seeing people in this culture, and even in the church, laying down our lives for other people. I mean, just think about that. Like, think about the things that the Bible talks about in us laying down our lives for somebody. That's scary. It scares me to death. And we've, we've tried to dabble in it. <laughs> but it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Satan works in three primary ways, I think. He works in the world, he works in the flesh, and he works in the demonic. And it's a war. The best place for Satan, though, right, is truly out of mind, out of sight, right? And you think, well, you just told me to do all this stuff to, like, actively... War against him. But why do I say that? Because what does the Bible lay out for you as the key to putting him out of mind, out of sight? Hebrews tells us. It says, fix your eyes on who? Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. What what happens when these demons run down the hill and up to the boat and look Jesus in the eye? He says, come out of this man. And they freak out. They (laughs) stop tormenting us. You know, isn't it funny a demon is asking the Lord to stop tormenting them? Demons are part of Satan's plan to do to us what God has already done to them. Just being in the presence of God bothers them. (laughs) Because there's one purpose of Jesus, if you're taking notes today. Don't you love this? That there's one purpose. Jesus liberates. I love that. I love that. In verse... 6 to 13, we, we get this beautiful picture where they're kneeling down before the Son of God. L- listen to this, the Most High God. <laughs> what an awesome statement. And then look at this in verse 13. Jesus gives them permission. They, they can't even unpossess one guy and go to the pigs. <laughs> they have to get his permission to act. What an amazing thing. They're worshiping. And so the story goes and they go into the pigs and rush down and Jesus is liberating and what you get a picture of is Christ over chaos. That, that whatever's going on in your life, Christ is bigger than that. I want to end in this way. When you think about the culture we live in and the and the church that we participate in, we live in a world today that's deceived by demonic forces. I and mean, I don't say that to be funky or weird or over spiritual. I, ju- I just want to think about this from this text. Humans are animals. Uh, we see that here. Maybe you even felt a little bad that, that all those pigs had to die, that thousands of pigs had to die. There, the people's response there was fear, not celebration. Why? Because economically, those thousands of pigs probably just fired multiple people. Think about that from economic from economic perspective. those thousands some of you run businesses. Think about if just all of your uh, resources gone. It'd be hard to celebrate that so you, you think about that. Jesus showed the value of humanity, right? As Satan is defacing and defiling the image of God, Jesus is saying, no, no. There There's a difference in the things that I've created. Now listen, that that comes to our world. You know, we, we live in a culture that celebrates, and I love them, the sea turtle and not the baby. Right? Like you got to put... The right stuff. You live on the beach and you live in the right area. You've got to put the right stuff in your windows and you've got to, you've got to cover all the lights and you can't have a light on the back of your house and we've got, we've got all these crazy things and that's awesome. My six-year-old thinks sea turtles are awesome. And so I want all the sea turtles to live. I do. I love sea turtles. but you know what God loves more than the sea turtles? He created the sea turtles. He loves the sea turtles. And if he doesn't want the sea turtles to go extinct, they're not going to go extinct. Do you know what else God loves? He loves human beings in the wombs of their mothers. And so, he loves black people. He loves brown people. He loves Chinese people. He loves American people. He loves Every human being, whether they're in the womb, from what do they say from womb to tomb? He loves them all. Right. He loves everybody. And people are confused about things that are demonic. Abortion is demonic. Racism is demonic. And we could just go on and on and on. But all men and women are created in God's image and are valuable And that should be so easy. Right? These are not complicated things. Now, we've made them complicated. It's a lot of layers to all that stuff that I just talked about. But it's not complicated that everybody's valuable. But our culture's confused about these things that are not hard to understand. How to employ strategies in those, that's hard to understand. But that basic principle is not hard and this world is confused about it and it's demonic. Let's think about the church. Let's not point the finger just out there. Let's point it in here, right? The lack of unity in churches today, I believe, is demonic oppression. It's demonic. John seventeen 21. Let's put that up on the screen real fast. Think about this. This is Jesus praying. Jesus is praying this. May they all, who's they? It's us, the church, followers of Jesus. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Our unity is what speaks to the world that Jesus is. The one that God sent. So Mark builds this case that Jesus' authority and power over the demonic is what will lead to these other things that we ought to be doing. It's incredibly important. So there's two responses that I think all of us have to make today. Today. Number one is let Jesus change you. Let Jesus change you. We all have things that need to change. If you've never bowed the knee to Christ and allowed him to be Lord of your life, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It can all start over today like this man possessed by thousands of demons. If you too will come in simple faith to Jesus, he'll make you new. We talk about loving God and sharing good news. That's the good news that no matter how Much oppression is on your life. Jesus is stronger than your oppression. You can be set free right now in Jesus' name. Sadly, the response of those in that attendance that day was not joy, but it was confusion and fear. And sadly, when the culture looks at the church today, it is not celebration, but it's often confusion and fear. And it's on us. To let Jesus change us. We planted Redeemer City Church because we wanted it to be different. And being different doesn't mean the shell of things looks different. It means the people are different. It means the people are changed by an almighty God. And then they're sent out. Number two, let Jesus send you. He's got to change you before he can send you. Am I making sense? Revelation 12:11 says that you by the power of your testimony by the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony can defeat darkness. What an awesome thing. You know what's really cool? Secular history says that in this region of the Garascens at this time period and the Bible doesn't tell us this because sometimes God just wants you to find stuff out from another source so that he, he doesn't get blamed for being right. Because <laughs> he's not prideful like you and I are. I'd make sure this was in there <laughs> and that it was very obvious. But God's not insecure like I am, right? Secular history tells us that in this region of the Gerasians, when you go back and they did excavation and all these other things, that when they went back, that in this same time period, two churches started, one on each side of the town. And that tons of people started to become Christians because of this guy's. Remember what it said at the end there? Jesus said, no, go back to your own hometown and tell your own people about what God has done in your life. And you know what? He did it. And churches were started and churches were thriving. And the gospel began to take off all over the place. You know what that started? It started with one man who let God change him and then he let God send him. Are you willing to let God change you? And are you willing to let God send you? It's powerful because it's the Holy Spirit's work within you. Acts chapter one, verse eight, as the band comes up, I want to I want to let them play a song for us so that we can do what Jake invited us to do before we started when he was talking earlier to just come down and pray. You know, sometimes you just have to let God change you. (laughs) You got to put into practice and it takes a step of faith to do that. So as the band comes and plays, I just Martin Luther, one of those great reformers, summed up our experience great in a hymn that he wrote. I'm sure you've heard of it. He, he called it a mighty fortress. Why don't you stand with me as the band starts to play? I just want you to think about these words. Here's what he wrote. He said, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abides. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sides. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. Amen? What an awesome thing. I want to just encourage you, in light of all those things we've talked about, there's a lot to process there. But here's the, here at the end of the day, whatever God's doing in your life, let him change you. Don't think about anybody else. Think about you. Let him change you. And then let him send you. Just like this man oppressed by thousands of demons. In one moment, God changed him and sent him. And we've never been the same. Amen. So let's sing this song together. If you need to come down and pray, please do so with us. We would be honored. Let's sing this out, church.